Oh, our Heavenly Father, this is a, a time of great trial and great opportunity. The world around us and, and much of the professing Christian world and church, for that matter, tilts off into chaos and madness. What a time for us to learn and live by our faith. What a time to stand out as beacons pointing to you. But we must hear from you and we must learn from what we hear and we must change in accordance with what we hear. So we pray, Heavenly Father, that you will do what we can't do, that you will do what no preacher can do, that you will give power to your preached word today and cause it to fall with impact on the hearts here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I will reveal to you today that as I was recovering from my surgery during those 15 years, as it, as it felt at the time, this is the sermon I meant to preach on my return. During those brief periods when the pain let me sit at a laptop for a few minutes, I started blotting out and plotting out this sermon with the title just passing through. But as I had a lot more time than I expected to have to think about the sermon, I realized that it needed a premise to be laid first before I could preach this sermon. You see, I'm going to preach to you today that this world is not our home, that we're just passing through, and that where our hopes are set and where our eyes need to be set are things, well, things we hope for. And to turn a phrase, things not seen. And what is it that gives substance to things hoped for? What is it that gives us a conviction about things not seen? Faith, according to Hebrews 11.1, 1, which ended up being the first sermon I preached in this series. And why did I? Because uh, I'm going to preach that all of our pains and trials are ephemeral, that we're pilgrims passing through, and I'm going to preach that we need to learn to walk by faith and not by sight. But the problem is, most professing Christians don't really understand what faith is. Most professing Christians have gotten their idea of faith from the world, which is never, never, never best practice. <laughs> never in the spiritual life. See, most Christians think that faith is a feeling, primarily. And what's more, they think it's a feeling that we work up inside of ourselves, and then we may fix it on this or that from the Bible. This is the idea that many Christians hold. So in the weeks preceding this sermon, I have labored to the very best of the ability that God's given me to teach you that yes, faith affects our feelings, but faith is not a feeling. That faith is primarily a commitment of the understanding, of the will, and of the affections and I would hope by now that everybody could finish this sentence, that from start to finish, faith is all about what? The Word of God. It's all about the Word of God. That is the focus, the substance, and the stay of saving faith. It is a matter of recognizing what the Word of God says. It is a matter of realizing that what it says is true. And it is a matter of resting myself on that truth submissively so that I depend on it wholly. And in so doing, depend on the God who speaks His Word. That's faith. 
And in order to get this sermon, we needed to get that. And I hope that we have. If not, well, we'll just revisit it another time. I'm sure we need to. I know I do. So the way I'm going to do this today is I'm going to begin with a fairly brief exposition of Hebrews 11:13 through 16. And we'll see how it frames uh, what the life of faith is. And then I'm going to expand that and apply it to us trying to put together all the things that we've seen in the preceding weeks in a, a, a personal daily application. So, expounding Hebrews eleven thirteen to 16, which you've got printed out, or rather, uh, you've got there in your hand, uh, and you've got it, um, excuse me, Hebrews eleven thirteen through 16, basing it on the Legacy Standard Bible. Um, verse 13 says... All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them from a distance, and having welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They see them and welcome them from a distance. So uh, the writer says without receiving the promises, yes, they did receive the birth of Isaac, but Abraham, Abraham had been promised much more than that. He'd been promised a progeny like the the stars in the heavens, and he'd been promised a a name, a great name, and he'd been promised to possess this land and that his seed would possess the land. Well, he did not see that happen, and Sarah did not see that happen, and Isaac did not see that happen, and Jacob did not see that happen. These are the people primarily in in view when he says all these died in faith. So uh, Enoch didn't die, and Noah didn't have those promises, nor did uh, the uh, sons of Adam, but they did. And they died not having received the promises, but they did not die in despair. They died in faith. Uh, Why is this? Because they saw the ultimate fulfillment from a distance, and they welcomed the truth because God had spoken these things. And, And notice this in verse 13 one more time. And all these died in faith without receiving the promises, but I'm just gonna part off two things, but A, having seen them from a distance, and B, having welcomed them from a distance. What are those two things? They they saw them, although they were far off, and they welcomed them, though they were far off. Take your mind back to verse 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, like the things that they welcome from a distance. And faith is the conviction of things not seen like the promises they saw, but at a great distance. This was faith. This was their life of faith. And so they confessed that they were strangers and exiles. They were just passing through. The final fulfillment of what God God promised them was not something that they would experience in this world, but they lived by faith in that. Now, verses 14 and 15, we've seen how uh, that past access aspect of faith Now, verses 14 and 15, for those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been remembering that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. Well, if they were thinking of of Ur of the Chaldeans, they had many opportunities to go back there, but that wasn't going to be their ultimate rest. It was what God promised that was going to be their ultimate rest. Something important to hear to these Hebrews uh, to whom the writer is writing who are being tempted to go back to Judaism. But he's saying, no, they didn't go back. Don't you go back. Go forward with God's promise. Hang in there with what He has said. This forward-looking faith that would only be fulfilled with the coming of Messiah and with the kingdom that He would ultimately bring. Not fulfillment in this life, but 
uh, ultimate fulfillment in God's kingdom. And finally, verse 16. But now they aspire to a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he prepared a city for them. They were passing through, they were just passing through by faith to a better heavenly country. Now, don't think when he says heavenly country that he means spiritual, non-material, vaporous, and out there. It's a heavenly country because it's not a country uh, uh, achieved by human politics or warfare or effort. It's not produced by man-made applications or doings at all. It's something built, as he says, by God. God is the architect of this country. God creates this country. It is the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is not non-tangible. The kingdom of God is the new Jerusalem going to come down to this earth, which will be made new. It's very physical. It's very real. God created the physical universe. And our home is not floating off for eternity like, like wispy spirits in the ether. Our home is going to be on a renewed world in the new city of Jerusalem which God will prepare. This is what they were ultimately looking forward to, not expecting fulfillment in this life, but looking forward to the city built by God, which is, in fact, the new Jerusalem. He mentions that city in chapters 12 and 13. And we see it in Revelation 21, the new Jerusalem, a literal city coming down out of heaven to earth. They're looking for this city, longing for it by faith, And it's that faith that pleases God, as we saw in verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to believe him, for he who approaches God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And this is the reward, this heavenly city. This is the reward, and therefore, they've pleased him. The writer says God is not ashamed to be called their God. How many times do we read in Scripture that God is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob? He's pleased to be called that because they believed in his word, because they walked by faith. And so he shows this by building a city where he and they can live together for all eternity. Yes, he's not ashamed to be called their God. They will see his face and worship him forever. More on that in a bit. But you see, these are our models of just passing through by faith. These were people who passed through with God's promises, never coming into full possession of those promises, but still leading lives that were led by those promises, that were given hope and not despair because of those promises. They are our models, but now I just want to ask practically, how do we do that? And the way I'm going to approach this is by seeing that there are three tenses to faith. You can see that in this model we just went through. Three tenses of faith, and I'm going to begin with the future tense, letter A, the future tense. Now just go back one more time to Hebrews 11 verse 1, where we see now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the conviction of matters not seen. Hope for, not seen. This is the business of faith. The Word of God brings us realities that it does not put right in our hands. They're objects of hope. And if it's future, well, it's not an object of hope. Hope means I don't have it in possession yet. Faith puts it in a a way that it acts on me, bringing substance. 
and bringing conviction to realities that I don't see with my naked eye yet, but they're promised by God. So since I have God's word, I rest on that word, and that brings conviction of the reality of these things not seen. But you see, this is a future-looking thing. This is not, I'll believe when you do it for me. This is, I'll believe because you promised it to me. And one day you'll do it for me. It's as Jesus says to to the sisters. He says, did I not tell you if you believed, you will see the glory of God? Not the reverse. We want to see the glory of God, then believe. But that's not the order. Faith is future looking. So, number two, what is it that we hope for that we don't see? And I'm just going to break it down to five areas. We could break it down to a great many more, but I'm just going to say it to Group it all under five areas that are objects of our hope by the Word of God. And what is the first then? The first I'm calling reception. And I will explain that to you. It is reception. Now, what's the background of this hope for reception? Well, it, it's not obvious. What I have in mind here is the reality that Romans 1 tells us all men know which is that God is going to judge us, and God is going to judge sin. Hebrews 9.27 says it in so many words, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after this comes judgment. And this judgment is no small thing. This, this judgment is a judgment that determines our entire eternity. And however long we live, we're going to spend a whole lot more time on the other side of the grave than we did on this side. But that judgment will look at this side and will determine that side. And Jesus says there are only two destinations. There is not a middle ground. Jesus says in Matthew 25, 46, and these will go away into eternal punishment, and these, the righteous, into eternal life. Only eternal punishment or eternal life. So this is a final, final judgment. Now, What is going to happen to us at that point? It is coming. But what will be our fate? Well, the Word of God promises to us that if we believe in Jesus, we pass from death to life. If we believe in Jesus, we are saved. If we believe in Jesus, our sins are forgiven. His righteousness is credited to us. Uh, We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. We are adopted into the family of God and dozens of other amazing things, all of which assure us that we will come to that judgment and we will hear from God's word, from God's mouth, the pronouncement of righteous. And we will be welcomed by name into his kingdom. Uh, we, we hear that, we read that, but we haven't heard it yet, have we? We haven't heard that from his lips. We haven't been at that judgment seat after death. We have not heard him say our name in welcome. But we have God's word, Romans 8, 38 through 39. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, no created thing, but what about God? Well, he said that at the beginning of this, after Romans 8, 29 and following. Uh, who will bring a charge against God's elect? Who will condemn? And he says, it's Christ Jesus who died and makes intercession for us. It's God who justified us. So no, there is none who can overturn that sure and certain verdict of righteous for the person who has repented and believed in Jesus Christ. So 
At the present, we live in the consciousness that judgment is coming, and we've not yet heard that word from God's lips, however. We've not yet seen the judgment seat and heard him say our name and bring us in. So what, what can give us assurance in this life? What can give us hope? What can give us the substance of that promise and a conviction that that thing not seen is real? Well, well faith does that. Faith in God's promise. Faith in God's word. If we were to look within for a reason for hope, I'll speak for myself, I'd be filled with despair. With nothing but despair. I look within myself, and yes, I can see a, a glimmer here and there that I, I, I hope is the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit working in me. But, oh, so, so much failure, so much unbelief, so much foolishness still. So many things that would not make me hopeful uh, about the judgment seat, to say the least if I didn't have God's promise. I'd have no hope if I didn't have God's promise. Any of you in that same place? I would utterly despair if it were not that God promised, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. All who come to me I will not cast out, Jesus says, and whoever the Father gives me will come to me. All those precious promises are what give assurance and hope in this life as we go through this world. Look within, you will have nothing but despair. Look to God's word, and we have the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. That's what faith is. So we hope for reception, you see. That's what this word means. That when we stand before God's judgment seat, we will be received. That he will welcome us, that he'll say our name. As Jesus says, I know my sheep and I call them by name. And we will see God's face light up with recognition, Christ's faith, face in love, if we've repented and trusted in the Lord Jesus. That's his promise. Reception. Secondly, rewards. Second Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment of seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Well, now we live a life that seems fruitless and seems pointless. It seems like we're on the losing side. <laughs> Frankly, I mean, if we're just to look at it and look at the polls, it looks like we're on the losing side. Uh, we see a world that's going crazy and doesn't care to hear what the Bible says, doesn't care to hear what Christians say. And we feel like nothing we do matters, even on the small scale, perhaps in our family or our church, in our society, in our country, in our world. It just seems like it, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't make any difference. So why put the effort? Why bother? Why risk? Why, why sacrifice? Why endure? Why try to do anything when we don't know whether it'll work? Well, God's Word puts us in a whole different arena of what work means. That work doesn't mean turn out the way we hope. Work means what? Approved and rewarded by God. And 2 Corinthians 5.10 is just one of a number of verses that say that all of our lives will pass and that, uh, like Ephesians 6 says, everything that is done, every good thing that pleases God will be rewarded. Every act of faith, everything that comes out of belief and, and submission to the Word of God, done in faith for the glory of God, is going to be rewarded. And so nothing is insignificant. Not in the sense that it'll do exactly what we hope it would do in this world, but that isn't where we put our eyes. We put our eyes where, where the Word of God directs them, and we cling to that in faith. And that's our orientation. 
the uh, as yet hoped for and as yet unseen rewards that come at the judgment seat of God. Faith keeps our eyes on that because God's word points us to that. See? A third area is resurrection. Resurrection. Of course, the Bible says a good deal about that. Jesus says in John eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. So this takes into consideration the actual, literal, physical death of the body. And Jesus says, that's not a problem to me because I am the resurrection. And if one believes in me, just as he physically dies, he will physically be raised from the dead. Philippians 3 verses 20 and 21 says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, the body of our humiliation, to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And I'll hold my comment till the next one, 1 John 3, verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. We don't see it yet. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Now, what is our present? You know, just to be perfectly blunt about it, the moment we're born, we begin to die. The moment we're born, we're born with a finite number of minutes known only to God, and that number gets smaller. (laughs) It gets smaller with the passing of every second. It doesn't get larger. The minutes until the last beat of our heart and the last spike of our brain waves get fewer every second. Yours have gotten fewer while I've talked. And uh, not to to be uh, unfair about it, mine by the same amount. They've all gotten fewer. We begin to die the moment we're born. You know, my family will attest that when we're watching TV and uh, uh, medical dramas, we we like often watching medical dramas. And so often somebody asks the doctor, what does he ask? Am I going to die? And I think every time I immediately say, yes. Maybe not of this, <laughs> but you are going to die. It's, it's absolutely guaranteed. You are going to die. Best to start thinking about it now. It's just an absolute reality. And the thing, too, is that the longer you live, the more, you, just again, to be blunt about it, the, the more you see death kind of starting to wrap at the door. You, you start feeling its approach as you see things in your body not getting better and not getting stronger and, and things that were easy get harder and some things that were, were already hard become impossible and, and your body does not get stronger and younger your body gets older and weaker and tighter that's because we are all heading towards the grave that's just, just an absolute fact of the matter we might as well deal with frontally well but why does that not bring despair to us why, how can we possibly have hope given that of course, what most people do is they distract themselves and fill their lives with shiny things and things that beep and make noises and keep them distracted from the fact that every minute brings them closer to the grave. But that's not really a solution, is it? That's just a distraction. Where do we get a solution? In only one place. The Word of God. The Word of God gives the solution. We just read it. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And we Christians are in that number. We've believed in him, so therefore, though we die, 
we will live. And we have a body of humiliation, as Paul says in Romans 3, uh, 1 Corinthians, Philippians 3, but Jesus will transform that body into a body like his glorified body, freed from the weaknesses and the pains and the sicknesses and the defects and, and the failings. Uh, this will be a new body equipped for eternity. So this is the final word for us. Yes, in this life, we get further words about sickness or debilitation or need to replace this or that or cancer. But that's not the final word for the Christian. None of those is the final word for the Christian. Even a death sentence for cancer or some other terminal disease. That's not the final word for a Christian, is it? What's the final word? This is the final word. Resurrection, glorification. A new body like Jesus' body that will never be sick, never feel pain, never have weakness, you see. So as we go in this life and experience pains and sicknesses and, and distresses, the reason why we can have hope is because of the thing not seen, the resurrection is brought to us through faith. That faith finds that word of God and faith leans its whole weight on that. I don't see it. I hope for it. What puts it in my hands now and makes a difference in my life now is faith. Faith is the mechanism that connects me to that promise of God. Resurrection. Next, ruling and reigning. Ruling and reigning. Let's see. Am I right about this? Indeed. We're going to be in Revelation a bit. So go ahead and turn to Revelation 5, would you? And actually, we're going to look at verses 8 through 10. Revelation 5, verses 8 through 10. In this heavenly vision, uh, he takes the scroll, the lamb takes the scroll, and the uh, 24 elders, the living creatures, all fall down before him. They fall down on their face before him. In verse 9, they sing a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. This is the essence of worship. And this is the essence of worship. Praise and glory to Christ. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and got people in tongue. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. There it is, very specifically. Not they shall float like happy spirits in the ether forever. No, they shall reign, and that verb means to act like a king. You know, king is basileus, the verb is basileo, basileo be a king. They'll be kings. They will reign on the earth. Now turn to chapter 20 now, verses 4 through 5. After the defeat of the beast and the coming of Christ in chapter 19, then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. And I saw the souls of those who'd been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who'd not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And as we'll see, that's not their whole reign. That's the first phase of it. For a thousand years, a thousand years on this earth, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Given new glorified bodies to reign with Christ on the earth. And then chapter 22, verse 5. Chapter 22, verse 5. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun. 
And for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. So when does this reign begin? It begins at their resurrection. The first phase of it is a thousand years long, and then after the rebellion and throwing Satan and the lost into the lake of fire, then their reign continues forever and ever. So it's not even, a thousand years reign would be a good run, but it's actually an eternal reign with God. So now let's come back to the present with that in mind. Where are we now? Are we reigning now? (laughs) Not much. (laughs) If this is raining, you know, I I, got to say, I'm not going to give it a lot of stars. It's not going to look good in my Google reviews, you know, if this is what raining is like. No, the Bible does not say we're raining. The Bible says we're the the last, we're the least, we're the nobodies, we're the off-scouring. The Bible says that, that that in the world we will have tribulation. Jesus says that. So the, the course of this government, the course of this society, the course of the world is suicidal. And do all we can, we're not stopping that suicidal course, except for the individuals who hear and believe the gospel. The professed church is hardly any better. If you, the more you know about what's going on in church bodies and across professed Christendom, the less reason you'll have for great joy and hope. It's, it's very discouraging if our eyes are trained there. But see, that's not the final word. That's not the way it's going to be. And I'm, I'm sorry for people who have this idea that's called postmillennialism, that the church somehow is going eventually to Christianize the world and bring in the kingdom of God. I would be such a despairing person if I, I believe that. I don't see, Christians can't de- de- agree on the least thing, let alone bringing in the kingdom of God. Well, they think it's going to take a few million years maybe. Whatever, but that's not what I read in Scripture. I read the kingdom of God coming down from heaven as God conquers the the powers of the world. Let me say that again and say it in English. As God conquers the powers of the world and sets up his kingdom on the world by his power and not by our efforts. And that's what we just read. And we will rule and reign with him then in a resurrected state. And that's the final word. The final word is not what the world thinks of us now. The final word is not what the Supreme Court decides to do about Roe versus Wade or religious liberty or anything. That's not the final word. The final word is what we just read. You say, but I don't see that. No, no, you don't. Neither do I. You say, I hope for it, but it's not in my hands right now. No, you know, I'm, I'm right in that same place with you. So what can we possibly do to find hope and courage and boldness now with that future reality that we don't see, but we hope for? What is it that would put this thing that we, we don't see, but we hope for in our hands to give us courage and boldness? Faith does that. That's exactly what faith is built to do. It takes this word from God and it holds it now. And though what I see and experience isn't like this, faith enables me to look beyond that because faith looks to God's promises and seizes on them as true and rests on them for fulfillment and for gladness and for joy and for hope. You see, we, even the weakest Christian today, even the most tremulous Christian today will rule and reign with Christ. How can I ever know such a thing? Because God's word says that. Because God's word says that. And so we walk not by sight, but by faith in that word. Ruling and reigning. Ah, but I've saved the best for last. I've saved the best for last. And the word, but I need immediately to explain it. The word is rapture. And I don't mean the catching away of the saints before the tribulation that we believe in as a church. 
But I mean rapture in its common sense. Sheer joy, sheer delight, sheer exultation and gladness. That sense of rapture. And where do we see that? I'm just going to read scripture at great length. I've got you in Revelation. Look at Revelation 21 verses 1 through 7. And I'll just let God's word preach for the next bit. Revelation 21, 1 through 7. This is after the millennial kingdom, after the defeat of Satan, after Satan and the lost have been thrown into the lake of fire. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. This is that city that the saints were looking for in Hebrews 11. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Now, do you see why did he write them down? For you, for you, for me, so that we might see them, understand them, believe in them, and rest on them. In other words, we might have faith in these words. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. That's what makes heaven heaven. Not golden streets, not crystal clear water, and not even the absence of death and pain. It's God that makes heaven and heaven. It's the Lamb that makes heaven heaven. It's the vision of God that makes heaven and heaven. And every time I see somebody say, well, you know, if my old dog isn't going to be in heaven, I don't want to go there. I always think, well, I don't think you need to worry about it. If that's what means the most to you, and if heaven would be heaven, if, you're, if old Bowser weren't there, I don't think you need to worry about it. Because what makes heaven heaven is the presence of God, the face of God. Read chapter 22, verses 3 to 5. Verses 3 to 5, Revelation 22. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And His servants will worship Him. And get this, they will see His face. That thing which all through the Bible we read can't be done. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Well, where are we now? We're far from God's face. We're far from seeing his smile with our eyes. What we do see is very disheartening. It's very discouraging. It's very depressing. And what we feel from God often is distance. We feel that we're far from God. So how do we get by in this life? We've got this promise, but it's not here yet. It's something we don't see. It's something we hope for. What is it that's going to bring that into our now 
and give us joy and hope and gladness now. It's faith. Peter says it in so many words. 1 Peter 1 verses 8 and 9, talking about being saddened by various trials. And speaking of Jesus, he says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, what is he saying? But believe in him. You don't see him now, but you believe in him. What does that do for me? Oh, read on. You rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Receiving is the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Oh, I don't see him now. I don't hear physically his voice now, but I do see him in his word. And I believe in him. And in that, I receive joy and rejoice even amid trials, disappointments, and discouragement. See, we have the promise that we shall see him face to face. And we rest in faith on that word. That's how that comes into our life now. That's the future aspect of faith. Now I better pick up speed about letter B, the present tense. This present tense right now, the life we're living now, is a time of trial and tribulation. But that time of tribulation and trial is accomplishing glory in us. I'll just read these to you. Acts 14.22, that the apostle went around, his workers went around, strengthening the souls of the disciples, these new believers, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. You say, I don't think that's very encouraging. I don't, how is that encouraging me to say, I've got to go through many tribulations? No, no, read the whole statement. Encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying that through many tribulations we must do what? Enter the kingdom of God. Yes, these tribulations are necessary. That is the, that's the coursework now. That's what the class is. Are you having tribulation? Yeah, we're right on schedule. That's just exactly what we're supposed to expect. But that'd be awful if that's what we're to expect forever. But what does he say? Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. They work glory for us. Paul says that in so many words in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Therefore we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is working out for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And then in chapter 5, verse 7, he says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. We say what you see then is decaying day by day. So how do you not lose heart? That's because that's not what I'm looking at. That's not what I'm concentrating on. I'm looking at the eternal things. And what enables that? Faith in the Word of God. Brings those unseen, hopeful realities home to me to give me hope. They show what we really believe and value and know to be true. Faith does that. So, it's a time of trial and tribulation, though accomplishing glory. And it's a time of trust. Time of trust. I'll read you Matthew six nineteen through 23. Remember, Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
The eye is the lamp of the body, and he goes on to say, so have a single eye. A single eye fixed on what? On the Word of God. On the eternity of God. On those treasures in heaven. On the judgment seat of God. On the kingdom of God. Put your eye on that and trust. The world is constantly going to be holding up shiny, clanky, clattery objects to distract us. Hey, hey, look over here. No, 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 look over here. Oh, you're reading your Bible. No, 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 this is much, much better than your Bible. Oh, no, no, this is much flashier. This is much more fun. This is much more fast-moving than sitting and listening to a sermon. Ah, uh, but see, that's passing away, the Word of God says. That's not reality. We need to trust what God says is eternal reality. You know, when you think about it, Believers, Christian believers, are the only people who actually possess anything. Never thought about that? Christian believers are the only people who actually possess anything. Well, I guess with one exception. Unbelievers do possess their sin. They do possess their sin. That's theirs. They will take that with them to the judgment seat of God. And they will take that with them into eternity. But everything else, they don't possess it. It's on loan. Every good thing, every, every pleasant thing, that's just the grace of God. That's the common grace of God to his creatures. And it's on loan. Only Christians have actual possessions that are actually ours, that we will actually take with us beyond the grave. And what are those? I just read about them. Matthew 6. Lay up treasures in heaven. Every moment spent in faith and submission to the Word of God, living by faith, lays up treasures in heaven, lays up possessions. And besides that, there are many things that are mine that are mine forever, but all of them because of Jesus Christ. You and I have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Ephesians 1.3 We've been elected to be in Christ. We've been predestined to be adopted. We've been redeemed from our sins. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. We've been raised up with Christ and seated with Him in the heavenly places. And we could go on and on and on. And all those things are ours forever because of Jesus Christ. Christians are the only people who really have possessions. But to, but to get the joy and the hope that we should from those things takes trust. It takes trusting God's word and walking by faith and not by sight in this place of darkness and trial. So trust in God's word we must and aim where he points us by his word. Finally, letter C, the future in the present tense. Bringing the future reality to where we are right now. We've really kind of been touching on that over and over again, but one more time, go back to Hebrews 11.1 for the last time today. I expect faith is the substance of things hoped for, the conviction of matters not seen. These are future realities brought to a present impact on me by means of faith. Faith is the means of grasping those realities as promised in God's word. So then, with that in mind, Go to Romans 8, verses at least, note down, Romans 8, 18, and 24 through 25. In Romans 8, 18, Paul says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. His ultimate beheading, Peter crucified upside down, believers burned alive, tortured in in Russian gulags, and and today, I'm afraid, in many totalitarian regimes. He says that's not even worth comparing 
to the glory to be revealed. Not seen, hoped for, but we know it by faith. We feel the reality of it by faith. 4 verse 24, in hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we eagerly wait for it, he says. There it is. Faith brings the future into my present so that it has an impact on me now. And will have an impact on me in how I talk to my parents, how I talk to my children, how I talk to my spouse, how I think of and treat the people in my life and the, and the activities and the priorities of my life. It has an impact right now because it brings those things hoped for and those matters not seen right up close and personal. And do turn with me finally to Hebrews chapter 12. And note down verses 22 through 24, but we'll just read part of it. This, he's coming to the, the close of this magnificent letter. And by the way, if you're a man who, who could have come yesterday but didn't, I really encourage you to, to get a book today and come. Hebrews is a wonderful study. It's a wonderful book. Chad's doing a great job. You, you want to be part of that. This is really terrific truth in this book. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22, he says, he's just said you haven't come to physical mount, uh, uh, the physical mountain of the law of Moses, but you have come to Mount Zion and the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. What's he talking about? He's talking about just what we just read about in the book of Revelation chapter 21, that city. Now, we're not in that city yet, but notice he says, you have come to it. This is a perfect tense. It, it, it means, if you think of this top stair as being where Mount Zion begins, you come right up to that point, and that's where you are. You won't scale it till you're in glory. You won't scale it until eternity, but you're right there. Grace has positioned you at the foot of this Mount Zion and at the border of this heavenly city. And Philippians 3 says, we're, we're citizens. I'm a citizen of that city. I'm just not in it yet, but boy, I am just on the border of it. That's where I'm standing. That's my reality now. Boy, I don't see that. But I do see it. I see it by faith. I see it in the Word of God. I see it right here in this verse we're reading now. There it is. Chapter 13, verses 11 through 16. We'll read parts of that. 13, 11 through 16. Do note that down though. For the sacrifices, he says, are burned outside the camp. Verse 12. Therefore, Jesus also suffered outside the gate. So now verse 13. So let us go out to him outside the camp, bearing the reproach. Here, this is our life now. Expect to be reproached. Expect to be disowned, sneered at, made fun of, mocked with mean, cruel memes. And, and slogans cut and pasted from the atheist source book webpage. Uh, expect that, he says. That's where Jesus was. But he went out the camp to suffer. So you just go with him. Because where you want to be is you want to be where Jesus is. Because think of where he is now. But that was the road to where he is now. Chapter 12 said that same thing. Therefore, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and now, what? Sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You look at him, you consider him as, the, as your analogy. He went to glory through the cross. We go to the kingdom of God through many tribulations. Or, as he says here in chapter 13, 
going outside the camp to him, bearing his reproach. Why? That sounds like crazy talk. Verse 14 says why. For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the one to come. For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the one to come. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. And as we pass through, we want to glorify and serve God as much as we can, because this, as far as we know, will be our only chance to do that under live fire. Under live fire and where it counts to win glories for the glory of God. This isn't our city. We're seeking the one to come. Now let me give you some testimony and some application of this. Why, why did I think of this to preach this? during my Just because I had time on my hand? No, because that's what I was going through. Now look, I know that, that what I, I suffered after the surgery, I, I am sure that some of you have gone through uh, far worse. And I often thought during this of, of Jacob's brother and what he's going through. And I, I prayed for him many times day and night as I was a, awake day and night with my pain. I thought of him each time and prayed for him, what he was going through with his cancer. But I will tell you that in, in my life, I've, I've never known pain like this. Not, not, not so much of it and not so long of it. And, um, you know, the time before I, I went to the hospital in the ambulance uh, was about five hours of pain at a 10 level before we decided it was time to call an ambulance. And then they gave me fentanyl to knock it down in the ambulance. And I don't know a lot about fentanyl, uh, except to know that you don't mess with it. And I do know that when I got to the emergency room, the nurse looking at what the ambulance guys had done kind of snorted. And I said, what? And he said, well, normally when somebody gets this much fentanyl, he stops breathing. So take that as a measure. Here's my point in it. Where did I go during this time? What, what did I do during this time? Psalms, 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 Psalms. Some of them over and over and over. I lived in Romans 8. Romans 8 over and over and over and got all the good lectures I could get on it on, on the various channels on the Roku, uh, Ligonier and other channels and talks, Romans 8, Romans 8, Romans 8. And when there were times when I didn't really have the time to, you know, get all theological and go through long verses, what I held on to was the word of God and the promise of God and this sure assurance that, that the pain that I was enduring and what I was enduring was not permanent. It was passing. And God would surely, now listen to me and make sure you understand me, God would surely heal me from this pain, either in this life or in his presence. If I died in the midst of the pain, then no more pain. That's what Revelation promises. No more pain, no more weakness, no more fear, no more sorrow. Tears wiped away. So, Every bit of pain, whether it was short periods or long periods, I went there. That this is not permanent. This, this will pass. I don't know how long, and I don't know what means, but I know it'll pass. How could I know that? Because God promises it. Because, because where I'm going is resurrection. Where I'm going is a glorified body. Where I'm going is that eternal city. And so are you if you've repented and trusted in the Lord Jesus. This is where we're all going. And so here's the application of that. And as I came to see, as I thought about it more, this really applies to all the sorrows and pains of life. 
Any sorrow we have, any fear we have, whether it's a, a, a challenging job or marriage or family situation or friendship, whatever it is, it's temporary. Paul says, light momentary affliction. He says, not worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed to us. And how does that do us any good? Faith. That's what faith's about. Faith takes that word of God, that promise of God, clutches it. I guess I can't do that with the microphone. Clutches it to our breast for all we're worth so that it's ours. And so that it gives us comfort and gives us joy and helps us keep going. Help us keep going on no matter what it is. And let me add one other thing. Refocuses us so that we realize, yes, this is temporary. So the point is to glorify God for all I'm worth while I'm going through this. Because this is not permanent, but the glory of God is permanent. And the kingdom of God is permanent. And my relationship with God is permanent. So the real thing about this trial, whatever it is, physical, emotional, spiritual, is to glorify God in it. And what's the, what's the best and only way to do that? Cling to the Word of God. Cling to the Word of God in faith. That's what faith is about. So, there it is, friend. This world is not our home. We are just passing through. And that's true of all of us, but of the Christian, we're passing through by faith. We pass through and we walk by faith, not by sight. We learn God's promises. We believe that they're true. We lean our full weight on them and submit to them because they are also the means of our joy and our gladness, of our hope and of our boldness, of our willingness to risk and do and accomplish and attempt for the glory of God. Not living in fear and chains and shackles, but living by faith not by sight. That's the only way we can live boldly, hopefully, fearlessly, and godly. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this, your word, and thank you for this, your truth, truth we never would have cobbled together ourselves. And we thank you so much, Father, for revealing it to us in your word and As I prayed at the start, I pray again at the close that the Holy Spirit of God will bring this word with power to each heart here, wherever each person is, whether far from you or close, whether rejoicing or whether in weakness, that the word of God will come home in a personal, powerful way to the glory of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.